We'll be looking at Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23 through 27. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23 to 27. When you're rounding up a series on Proverbs, you'd think you'd be at the end of it, right? Well, no, we come back closer to the beginning here. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and all, let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Well, in the last month or so, we, we took Proverbs and looked at a Christian or biblical worldview, and then... A fifth message was, what are you going to do with your worldview? After you've evaluated what God says about this world and the, the various aspects of it, uh, about our, our life's responsibilities, and you know, anywhere from family to vocation, uh, just being a good neighbor. Uh, we, we learn what God wants, what God says, what is the truth about this world, about this life, and about ourselves. But then you got to do something with it. It requires decisions and actions. Or it was vain knowledge. You remember that phrase, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Yeah, we want to get the happiness we can. And, and Proverbs in itself, we were just working our way up to this worldview idea, but, but the whole series on Proverbs has brought us into the alignment of God's way of thinking and acting and what is not appropriate as well as what is appropriate. And, and we come back to a similar concluding thought. What are you going to do with this? This great book. And the answer is we're going to keep our hearts with it. This knowledge that the Proverbs and all of Scripture gives us is designed for us to keep our hearts. So we ask the question, why is the book of Proverbs so important? Why is it so valuable a tool to be used regularly in my life? I mean, I admit there's some books of the Bible I don't use regularly. I need to know what's there. I may need to refer to it, keep in touch with it. But other places in the Bible are absolutely daily requirements. And you can think in your mind how many books of the Bible are so important that you need to read them over and over and over. And Proverbs ought to be one of them. Well, the book of Proverbs belongs to a group of books in the Bible that are called wisdom literature or poetical books. Uh, they're the books of Job through Song of Solomon. Uh, these books are philosophical yet practical they are designed to reason with you about the way your mind and heart relate to God and to this world. They inspire self-examination, meditation, prayer, decision, and action. In particular, the book of Proverbs has no historical narrative. 
You know, Job is a story about a real man and, and his friends and all those actions. Uh, Psalms is full of history of Israel and, and, and uh, different characters. But Proverbs, it's just so, I don't, I don't want to say neutral, but it, it, it applies to um, any time, any location, any situation. And if it has any historical setting, it's you right now. Your world right now. Proverbs are usually succinct statements. Okay, that means short and to the point. They penetrate the mind. They linger in the heart. And seemingly they reappear to us uh, during various situations of life. I first learned that kind of thing from my father. We would be out working in the garden or going somewhere and doing something. He would just pause for a minute and he'd cite something. Something he saw made him respond with a scripture that flew into his mind and out of his mouth. And, and uh, I didn't know it, but I was being trained by my father. He didn't sit me down and, and, uh, and have me learn this and learn that and memorize this and memorize that. But the Bible was always around. There was an atmosphere of it. It was honored and revered and you know, when Billy Graham was on, everybody was in front of that TV. But, but Scripture just came from him, and he had a way, of, uh, and a flowing way of uh, indoctrinating me, training me. And many years later, I'm in Bible college, and something will be taught by a teacher, and all of a sudden I hear my father. These words live on. They talk. So um, we have references here, which... I've got many other things I need to look up, but you will especially want to see that with Proverbs 2, it's going after it like it was hidden treasure. You know, if you're just digging around in a dump and looking for pop cans, that's lackluster. But if you were told there's, there's gold, there's silver, there's something very valuable that was buried here or lost here, you might dig just very tenaciously. And that these things that we learn are to be prized and treasured. And uh, Proverbs 6 says you're to talk about it with your family around the table. When you, when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, you're to talk about these things. And then when you go about your day, these words teach you. They, they talk to you now. And so the, 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 it's a living word. The living God speaking to us. And we are literally, you know, today, I, I'm not much for apps I hear it all the time, but, but get this app for your phone, that app for your phone, get direct access. Well, you get, you, you get in league with the Heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ and get into His Word, and you have something far better than an app. Amen. But you talk about access? There's no other book like this in which the author stays with you and keeps training you. Uh, he'll often answer your questions for you or direct you in some way to, to learn. But it's an ongoing thing. And after you know, 50 years or so, I'm still excited, maybe more than ever. Well, Proverbs 4.23 tells us to keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Let me back up. Keep, that is watch, guard, preserve, protect your heart with all diligence, which means above all else. Highest priority, for out of it, that is the heart, are the issues of life. Out of it flow the springs of life. You've got a divine artesian well, bringing up beautiful, pure things. Constant source, it doesn't end. 
Okay, but that heart can be a source of good or evil. Prosperous, productive living, even just surviving, depends on what we do with our hearts. Now, usually we go the route of explaining that the heart is uh, seen as the source of good or evil in the lives of people. It's not just what they do, it's what they think. And what they do depends on what they're thinking, what's in their heart. And, And it's considered like a treasure chest, what you pull out of it. And we have a choice to make it good or bad. Uh, Deuteronomy says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus added the words with all your mind. Psalm 119.2, that we are to seek the Lord with all our heart. And um, I was going to quote verse 11, but I remember verse 10 had something Extra special here. Bear with me while I just fumble through my pages. Yeah. um, Verse 10 says, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Now, there's an honest heart. He's not just patting himself on the back saying, Well, look at me. I'm seeking you with all my heart. Bravo. Yay me. But no, it's... I'm doing this, but I know I can slip. I'm I'm seeking you with all my heart, but don't let me wander. I get distracted. Or like the hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Now verse 11 says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I'm asking God to keep me between ditches and keep me close. But I'm also doing my part, feeding my heart with the Word of God, so that I don't so easily wander. You know, when we, when we know that there's a weakness we have, or that there's a, a tendency under a, in a certain age of life or a certain situation that uh, we, we could more easily falter, that doesn't give us permission to do it just because we have a weakness. It means fortify that. You know, if, if, if you... I'll get to this later, but if we had a city fortified and one of the gates was weak, that doesn't mean flip up the latch and say, hey, come on in, enemy. No, no, you want to put more enforcement on the weak door, the weak gate, so you rush to it. There should be sort of a white blood cell thing going on here where we're, we're leaking somewhere, we're weak somewhere, we're bleeding out somewhere, and we need to rush to that, and we need to bring God's word into it. And by doing that, you're bringing God's spirit into it. Well, Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, that sounds like a rhetorical question, kind of like saying, well, nobody can know it. it. It's such a mystery. I can't figure it out. Who can understand the heart? Well, That's not a rhetorical question because God answers it in the very next verse. Jeremiah 17, 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try or test the reins. And I don't know what your Bibles say. I haven't seen anybody translate it for what the word really means. It means kidneys. And, you know, we we make things out of our guts and our heart and we use these metaphors. Well, the kidney is, a, is considered a secret place, hidden back here. 
And nobody gets there. Nobody sees it. I am not even so sure myself. God says, I got it covered. I'm testing your kidneys. Your inner thoughts, feelings, fears, hopes, dreams, whatever it is. I'm there testing that. I search and I give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Now I'm going to take the liberty to say the ways can be my thought life and my desire life. And the doings, well, that's the, that's the action part. And we, we have a song that uh, we're going to sing at the end of the service. It's based on Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Oh, that, and, and, you know, it isn't like I have to give God permission to know things about me he doesn't know because God already knows. But in searching, guess who he takes with him on this search? He takes you to search you. And you're wanting him to do it. You know, some of us don't like to go to the doctor. And I'm, I'm respectful. I have my own issues. I'm not overly doctoring. But sometimes something's wrong and you're, you're sort of afraid. What is it? But you've got to find out. You've got to tell the doctor where it hurts. You've got to tell him those symptoms you've had or he can't help you. And God not only wants to help you, he wants you to want him to help you. And he even wants to use you as part of the solution. But you can't do it without him. And so this is good thought for what it means to keep the heart. If I stuff my head full of Proverbs and have all this witty knowledge and I can spit out verses at people and make them marvel or I have the perfect answer for somebody else, but not myself, this isn't very profitable knowledge. Above all else, with all diligence, keep your heart. Jesus says in Matthew 12 and verse 34 and 35. O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. So garbage in, garbage out. That's pretty simple. Keep your heart. And what what our passage is going to tell us, it isn't just identifying the heart as the problem, but... We need to know what it is that gets to our hearts and corrupts our hearts so we can protect them from that. Also, chapter 15 of Matthew, verses 18 and 19. Matthew 15, verse 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Now, he's in the middle of a conversation about the Pharisees judging him for eating laws, you know, what you eat. And he says, it isn't what goes into your, into your body, into your belly that defiles you. It's what comes out of you from your heart. That's what defiles you. Now, you know, we've learned a lot about bacteria and the invisible world, microorganisms, Sometimes I think we need to learn a little bit more. But it used to be people just had no idea 
where like maggots would come from. Here's a perfectly good piece of meat, and it's just been sitting there. And all of a sudden, maggots are coming out of it. And we think, what, were they in there? No, in the microscopic world, they got to that meat that was left vulnerable, room temperature, exposed. And there's just a whole lot of things. You know, we put things in Petri dishes and, and watch them under microscopes, and things appear. Now, if I see maggots in a piece of meat, does that mean condemn all meat? No, it means take better care of the meat. Because there's other things in the environment that will get to that if we don't protect it. You know, and uh, we could talk about all kinds of warm, fuzzy things that can appear in the kitchen cupboards or in our refrigerators, but um, I don't feel like lecturing on that. But we see we're not just trying to say, uh, oh, you got a bad heart, look what you did. We're trying to say, look what you did, you've got a bad heart, where did that come from? Let's deal with it. And, you know, it's always easier to say, I'm sorry. It's a lot harder to say, Lord, prevent me. Keep me from evil. Keep me from these things. And to make that effort, that diligence to keep the heart. This is the challenge. And God has given you much help. And one of the big helps is the book of Proverbs. To cause you to see things that will influence your heart. Now, um, there's a book written by John Bunyan. And first thing you might think of is O Pilgrim's Progress. Well, this is another one less known. Some people think it's a better book than the other one. It's a hard read. It's, it's something difficult to read. But it's called The Holy War. And in typical Bunyan style, he creates allegorical characters. And the names all have significance. And there's a city called Mansoul. What do you think that represents? Uh, no. Yeah, that's about you, inside you, your soul, your heart, your mind. <clears throat> the city of Mansoul has uh, very uh, well built up walls and strong gates. And um, this city is ruled or was ruled by a king named Shaddai and if you recognize El Shaddai, this represents God. This city, as I said, was protected by strong walls and, and five gates. And the gates are called eye gate, excuse me, ear gate, eye gate, mouth gate, nose gate, and touch gate. No, there wasn't any water gate. But again, he doesn't try to make it hard to figure out what's going on. But it will be hard to do something with what he's teaching. There's an enemy that wants to get in. And these are the five gates to reach. And if I remember correctly, the, the, the two gates that were most vulnerable was uh, ear gate and eye gate. But I think it's important to note here that these gates were vulnerable to attack. The enemy's name was Diabolos. This represents Satan. And... There's an attack, and now Diablos, this horrible giant, is running the city for a while. And the question now is, how do we get him out? How do we restore the city uh, to its order? But what this does for us this morning is remind us that the heart is vulnerable to attack through the stimulus of what comes to our, eye, our ears, our eyes, and even what we taste, smell, or touch. 
And we're going to particularly have to note that uh, in, in what Proverbs is going to teach us today, that we uh, must watch what we allow to come out of our mouths. And, and, and part of protecting our heart is what we let out of our mouths. And I'll, I'll explain now with verse 24. Proverbs 4, 24. Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Okay, this is part of the prescription for keeping your heart with all diligence. Don't let your mouth talk wickedly, foolishly, etc. So guard your mouth. Consider, and, and froward means something that is crooked. Perverse, devious, deceitful mouth. If we would protect our hearts, we must not enter into corrupt conversations and use our mouths to blaspheme, to curse, to use in vulgarity, to mock proudly, or to lie and slander. As we speak, we hear ourselves. We will either speak well, or we will speak in such a way as to be shameful. Unfortunately, sometimes, instead of being ashamed, we can harden our hearts as we speak, especially if others show approval. Hey, they laughed at that smutty remark. Ha ha, I'm pretty good, you know, or, or uh, I insulted somebody and used some slanderous mockery and people said, yeah, you know, and, well, hey, this is working for me. And then there comes that matter of anger. Anger can take over our mouths and we start to say things, hateful, foolish things that we might later regret. Our, hearts can make, our mouths can make our hearts proud and stubborn. Now, maybe you don't have any experiences, but I do, of getting myself worked up into a frenzy. I started having a conversation, it got heated, and all of a sudden I'm saying stronger things, harsher things, and eventually I'm saying things I don't even mean. I never would have said that, but I've worked myself up to it. And somehow, my heart heard those words, and it primed the pump, go sick them, Alex. You know, go for it, man. You're cool. You're, you're right. Oh, that's important. Got to be right. Though sometimes it's dead right. Let me have a few moments here to use these verses. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 and 29. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. What's that telling my heart? These people I'm talking to, these people I'm talking about, uh, we're one in Christ. We're brothers and sisters. We're members of God's forever family. I want to make sure I'm edifying them and not just having sport. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Yeah, I may be talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. I may be talking to uh, wonderful servants of the Lord or talking about them. And maybe they're not perfect. Matter of fact, I already know they aren't. So... 
You know, it, it kind of reminds me, uh, sometimes at kids' club, we have the old-fashioned overhead projector and shining stuff on the screen. I use the transparencies. Some people don't believe that such things still exist, but they would still work. But every now and then, a fly loves to land on that screen, and projected on the screen is a pretty big fly. And everybody goes crazy. Ah, look at the fly. I said, this is great. You're going to go home, and your parents are going to say, what did you learn at Kids Club tonight? We saw a fly. That's the big deal, right? No, it's just a fly. We magnify it. It looks a little more hideous, but it's just a fly. And sometimes that's all we're looking at when we see the faults of some of God's servants. It's just a fly. Don't overdo it. You know, work with it. Pray for it. Encourage, help, come alongside, help them through. Well, you may be talking to people who are not saved. They're not Christians. And you might say, open season, they're not my brother or sister. (laughs) They aren't saved yet. One thing I loved when learning sign language, the sign for an unsaved person is late saved. That's their way of saying, not saved yet. They're still alive, they're still breathing, there's still hope. And how's that proverb go? Uh, a, a, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Somebody's still alive, they've still got breath, there's still hope. We need to talk in hopeful terms. We need to talk in positive ways that can edify and minister grace to people. We don't have room for trash talk as God's children. And then chapter 5 be ye therefore followers of God. I'm in verse 1 of chapter 5. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be once a name among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, not not appropriate, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that, uh, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I said verse 4, didn't I? I didn't want to stop. But it goes on to talk about those who willingly practice such things. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. But amongst the list of obvious sinful things is filthiness, foolish talking, and jesting. If I remember correctly, The word for jesting there implies the pride, the pride of of, uh, being approved and, and, you know, you've got, you're entertaining and they're rewarding you and and that builds up your pride. And, And the Lord says here, get rid of this talk. It doesn't edify, it doesn't build up, it doesn't help. So we shouldn't have time for it. And then there's Psalm 131, verse 2. Psalm 131, verse 2. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Okay, uh, it used to be celebrated. When a child went from the breast milk to the solid food. It was, a, it was a step in the progress of growing up. A rite of passage, if you will. 
Uh, not the full bar mitzvah yet, no. But, but the fact is, now they're not screaming every time they're hungry and, and screaming and only mother can satisfy them. Now they have more patience. They can eat solid food. They can eat with other people and they learn their manners. And here, here this psalmist tells us, I'm behaving myself and keeping myself quiet. I'm not thrashing about and squawking and just saying everything that comes to my mind. It's like a baby going from the milk to the solid food in maturity. And then not far away is 141. What a prayer this is. Psalm 141, verses 1 through 4. Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, keep the door of my lips, incline not my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties." This prayer could be used in other points I'm about to make, but just try to make note of it right here. I want God to set a guard on my lips. We're talking about what's coming out of them. And if I don't do that, then I might have a heart that's inclined to evil things. Careful what you say and who you say it to, why you said it, because the heart is affected by what you let flow out of it. And we need to have Holy Spirit restraint, self-control in this matter. Now, verse 25 of Proverbs 4. Let thine eyes look right on, let thine eyelids look straight before thee. So we had guard your mouth, now we have guide your eyes. Now, this should be more self-evident. I shouldn't have to illustrate as much. This, this should be very clear, that we are stimulated by things that we gaze upon. We think, we meditate, we contemplate when we are gazing at something. And I first mentioned Eve in the garden. You know, she listened to the devil, she dialogued with him, all mistakes. But then she started looking, and she saw that fruit that forbidden fruit. Mmm, kind of good looking. Mmm, bet it tastes good, be good for food, but it can make me wise. It can make me like God. And the more she looked, the more she lusted, and on she went, and then she succumbed to the temptation. That's in Genesis 3.6. We're warned not to look or gaze at wine as it sparkles in the cup. That's a proverb, 23, verse 31. Um, King James says when it moves itself aright, well, I I, kind of like the easier explanations. It's pretty red sparkling stuff in the cup, and it's that look. If you don't believe me, just look at the commercials for liquor. The guy that's drinking the right beer, he's got a bikini babe on both arms. Be thirsty. You know, and I get all the gusto. And there's a lifestyle being promoted, used as an enticement, that th- drink this and you'll get that. And uh, do they still have the black velvet lady? 
You know, she was uh, advertising the whiskey. But the idea is sensual pleasures, social delights, physical delights, prosperity. If you just drink this, it's that look that says, this is going to do something for me. I need this. And people will like me better. And uh, just a social drinker to have more involvement with society. And the next thing you know, you become unsociable. But before we go deep into that, I just say it's the look. It's the gaze. Job said he made a covenant with his eyes concerning lusting after women. I made a covenant with my eye. Why should I think upon a woman? That's not my wife. Why? What is going to come from that? C.S. Lewis, his sense of humor, he tried to describe a a burlesque show. You know, the women dance and do things that I don't have to explain. But he said, here's a group of people in a a theater. And they're all waiting and the curtains are, are still closed. And the music is starting to play and the lights are dimming. And as the curtain opens up, just before the lights go out, you get to see a pot roast. You know, and we did this with some other area of our life. Why would you be hungry and look at pictures of food or somebody else's food? You just you know, go for the real thing that God has provided. So that was um, Job 31.1. And of course, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount... He said, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, he that looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. It does work the other way these days. We used to say, oh, this is a man thing, but quite frankly, some people, some people of the opposite gender, uh, they're showing problems with it too, and there's an industry for them, the lust business, the fantasy business. David in Psalm 101 said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. 1 John 2, 15 and 16, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passes away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Okay, Proverbs 4, 26 and 27. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. We've had guard your heart, guide your eyes, and now give thought about your actions. Where you go, what you do, and with whom you associate will affect your heart's affections, and loyalties. Pay attention to what you are doing. Don't be a piece of driftwood floating around in the ocean of life. We should have a rudder and a sail and and be directed in going someplace, not just floating around with every wind of doctrine, every whim of fantasy and, and passion. You know Psalm 1 1 pretty well. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor uh, uh, stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. There 
is a wonderful, purposely directed life, and it's not making stops and lingering in places they ought not. And so you need to think about what you're doing. And um, if you read Psalm 101, and I, I, I can't afford the time right now, but there's a couple parts there where it talks about cutting off certain people and all that. Remember, a king wrote this. And administratively speaking, a king needs to get rid of people who aren't doing the job, they're doing a bad job, or they're not in sync with, with the, the king's program. And we can apply that to Christ, how he's going to one day get rid of everybody who didn't want him to rule over them, and, and he's going to come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on his enemies. We're told to rest in that fact. But in another sense, we need to cut off our associations with certain people because they're bad for us. We're not really ministering to them. They're, they're, they're probably trying to win us more than we're trying to win them, and we have to watch out because uh, it uh, says there in 1 Corinthians 1533, evil communications corrupt good manners. Uh, Evil associations create bad morals. There's a lot of interesting choices of words in different translations, but uh, there you have it. You are going to become who you welcome into your life. I mean, we can't help it. We live with certain people, work with certain people, we're related to certain people, and we do our part to shine our light. But who you let in as an influencer in your life, that's very important. Who gets to entertain you with what? Who gets to propagate and preach at you? What are they preaching? Where are they going? What's their life doing? Do I want to follow that example? We've got to make serious choices every day. That little fork in the road doesn't seem like much at first, but eventually it takes us far, far. I, I do, I just really do want to share with you something that's a little off the beaten path here is Jeremiah 14.10. Jeremiah chapter 14 and verse 10. Thus saith the Lord unto this people, Thus have they loved to wander. They have not refrained their feet. Therefore the Lord does not accept them. He will now remember their iniquity and visit their sins. Some people go around and they want fire insurance. They want to say a prayer and Make sure they're going to heaven by saying this prayer. And, you know, I'm, I'm all for prayer. But sometimes it's only been reduced to that. Just a quick, uh, uh, everybody's a sinner, you, me, both. And uh, you need to believe in Jesus and you need to ask him to save you. And it isn't that those things aren't true. But the way they're being said, it's like I'm processing something in a factory. This is soul work. And we not, must not heal people slightly with quickie little gospel runs. Because a whole lot of people who said, yeah, I signed a decision card, or yeah, I I said a prayer, or yeah, I went forward somewhere. I I had this moment when I was looking at the sunset, and I got this wonderful feeling inside, and I I I, I think I believe in God now. Watch out. God doesn't tell us in his word to make sure you said this or did that in, in a little ceremonial way. What he says is, believe on the Son of God, now follow him, 
and look for his work in your life. Are you changing? Are you different than what you used to be? You may not be what you ought to be, and you may not be what you want to be, but you're not what you used to be. Oh, good. That was a very convicting verse. God's looking at the results in the long-term fruit. Then there's uh, Hosea 4, 10, and 11. This is another one that might be a little off the beaten path for some. Book of Hosea. Get past Daniel. There's Hosea. Chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. For they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom. And some Bibles would say prostitution. And shall not increase. Because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. Now some say understanding, but literally, if you read the footnotes, it's heart. And this message is about keeping the heart. And when we allow ourselves to drink in, soak in, walk in wrong, bad, filthy, ungodly things our hearts are going to weaken. You ever been full of resolve? Yeah, I'm going to do this. And you walk in the room and the music's playing and the people are talking loud and happy and all of a sudden your resolve's all gone. We have to watch out. Evil communications, evil associations, corrupt good morals, good ways of living. But I must also get Psalm 119, verse 59. I put it in bold in the notes because it's really the one. It's really the one here. Psalm 119 and verse 59. I thought on my ways... And turn my feet unto thy testimonies. Okay, that's not complicated. But that's the thing. It doesn't have to be. As a matter of fact, it must be simple. I need to think on my ways. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? With whom am I doing it? What's my goal here? And if it isn't matching up to godly things that we know better, we go back to God's word and let him talk to us. And say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Now, one more look at Proverbs 4, 26 and 27. This won't take long. There's no side references or anything. But in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, let me refresh us here. Ponder the path of thy feet. And let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove remove thy foot from evil. Verse 26. Plan and prepare. That's what it's telling us. When it says ponder the path of, of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. That means get in there and get your hands on the steering wheel and know where the brake is. And hit the accelerator and go the right way. A holy life is done on purpose. It is never done by accident. Verse 27, the first part, turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Pursue the plan. Don't drift. Verse 27b, 
Remove thy foot from evil. This means purify your progress. You need to reevaluate on a regular basis. Any good business knows you have to do this. They, they create a strategy, a plan, and then after a while they review, saying, how's it going? Are we getting the results well? If not, we've got to change something. We need to do that and manage our life. Have a, have a high-level meeting with God and his word and reevaluate, then make appropriate changes. Now, there is this book I want to recommend. You'll see fine print there. Keeping the Heart by John Flavel. I don't know if it's Flavel or Flavel, but I think it's Flavel. The edition I have is a Christian Heritage from Christian Focus Publications, and uh, it's been around for a long time. This is one of the old guys. I love those old dead guys that did a lot of thinking and praying and took their time and wrote deeply. It'll take you a while to read a book like this. It should stop you quite often and make you pause and reflect. I'm just going to give you a sample of this man's work called Keeping the Heart. He says, The heart of man is his worst part before it is regenerated, and the best part afterward. It is the seat of principles and the foundation of actions. The eye of God is, and the eye of the Christian ought to be, principally set upon it. The greatest difficulty in conversion is to win the heart to God, and the greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the heart with God. You can just chew on that for a long time. Imagine a whole book of that. That kind of good thinking. Now, what I want to do, and just bear with me, because we're not going to have another session, and that is integrate the book of Proverbs into your life and into your Bible study. I won't, I won't belabor this too much, but let me just say it so we can send it out to others too here. We have already noted that the 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs makes it conducive to reading a chapter a day for a whole month. Yeah, well, there's, there's four months and only have 30 days. You'll have to work out the math and do accordingly. But if you do this for many months, maybe you would do it the rest of your life. You're going to see the long-term saturation with these powerful words of wisdom. There will be more readily coming to your mind and heart. They'll be speaking to you more often. They will live in your mind and heart and give you great comfort, warning, instruction throughout your life. But now, about Bible study. Proverbs will also add insight to everything else you're studying in the Bible. Many biographical and historical narratives can be an illustration for the principles that are taught in the Proverbs. Proverbs can be used as a proof text or conclusion for biblical teaching. And these Proverbs, that, you, know, you throw it in at the end of a lesson or you start out with it and then illustrate it, you know, it, it makes those statements stick. And people are, will tend to remember the whole story because of that proverb, that piece of wisdom that concisely said something. You see, we're connecting the dots. God put things out there for us. You know, I don't do Easter egg hunts, but God has all things to hunt for and and to bring together and put into our basket as we're studying his word. And we need to see the relationship that other books of the Bible have with the book of Proverbs. Now, I'm just going to give a few suggestions. Oh, I had imagined I was going to maybe give a long list of things to show you, but quite frankly, this is your Job, but I'm going to tell you that the book of James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament. Both books recommend the blessedness of godly character, godly words, 
in godly actions. They warn against that which will bring misery and will be condemned as abominable to the Lord. And this is true also with the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the chapters. Especially note the Beatitudes, those wonderful blessings, supreme blessings that are found in Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, meek, pure in heart. They, Proverbs will address and fortify those very things. And I, I gave you a website that you can look to there. A gentleman has really worked on this, and, and you can go to that uh, Bible.org series, page 44, Sermon on the Mount. Anyways, um, it gives some good instruction if you want some, some help in priming there. But don't forget, Proverbs is not alone. And uh, particularly, the book of Psalms and the book of Ecclesiastes correlate similar truths, and you, you can use those as also references and connections. We made it a point with many of our messages to start with a psalm and then go to the Proverbs because of David. Solomon says there in Proverbs 4, I was my father's son and he taught me, and he quotes his own father, that's David. You go back and you can see the influence of David on Solomon and his Proverbs. So enjoy, discover, make connections, fill your basket, get another basket. <laughs> Father, I do pray that you'll help us appreciate the treasure chest we have. Every book of the Bible is precious. This one is so useful, so practical, so many ways if we only will use it. And I just pray, God, that you'll, you'll bring these things together for us as we search. Make us hungry for more and make us desiring to apply it in our lives, and to use it to help others as well. If there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior, just trying to learn Proverbs uh, and learn behavior is not enough. As good as that may seem, they need faith. They need that part where trust in the Lord means trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant them that faith and help us to bless one another and edify one another with these things. In Jesus' name, amen.